All right, so we got here. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Christmas. Some of you, you start Christmas and it's early November. Some of you, it's October. Um, some of you started Christmas last week. Uh, you can give Vince a hard time. Bless Vince. Uh, Vince was telling us that uh, he went Christmas shopping finally this week um, that we just had. So, I mean, there's, there's all ends of the spectrum, but, but I, you know who's moved on? Fairway has moved on. Anybody was in Fairway yesterday? I was only there twice, uh, and then Carrie was there once, uh, because you can't get everything in one trip. Even when you have a list, apparently it just doesn't work that way. But here's what happened. You know what they've got out at Fairway? Valentine's cookies. Because they've moved on, Right? Uh, and I get that because yesterday was the 23rd, they're closed today, they're closed Monday, and, and when they open back up again, Christmas is over, and you know what, it's in the rearview mirror, and, and we've moved on, and we're looking at something else, and, and that's the way it works. So I don't know how you feel about Christmas. Maybe you're like Fairway and you're done. Uh, maybe for you, if you're like our family, we actually won't celebrate Christmas with our extended family until next weekend, so we're going to have our tree up for a whole extra week. which is great. Whatever it is, whatever it is, uh, we're here. Four candles lit. Hi. We're here. We've arrived. Okay. And so here's a couple of things as we, as we wrap up the last Sunday in our Advent series talking about why Jesus, there's a couple things that we need to understand. And, and, and here's what I'm going to point out to you. This should be old for you by now. This will be the fourth week in a row that we've talked about this text. But you know what? We've done that on purpose, and I'm hoping that, that this gets seared in. So when somebody asks you, hey, what's the meaning of Christmas? I'm hoping that you'll be able to give them this answer. It should sound a little bit like this. Hey, Matt, what's Christmas all about? Well, let me tell you that Christmas is about this, that when the time was right, when the timing was perfect, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin under the law, right? God sent him to bring freedom to those of us that were slaves to the law, that's all of us, so that he could adopt us as his very own children, or some variation of that. See, I hope what we understand by the end of this Advent season, by the end of this, why Jesus, it's, it's because it was very methodical, very planned, very purposeful endeavor by God to do something never before done to bring about something that we absolutely needed and couldn't do on our own. And that was to offer salvation for those that were slaves under the law. The whole purpose of Christmas was very simply this last little bit, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And we, we harped on that last week, and I know there are many of you here that have adopted or that have been adopted, and you understand exactly what that means when we talk about being adopted as God's very own children. That is a big deal, okay? And so, so here's, here's my challenge to you. I'm going to ask you um, almost a little bit to challenge this idea of, well, Christmas is 
um, about, you know what Christmas means to me? Christmas is about togetherness. I like togetherness. Togetherness is awesome. Christmas is about family time. It's about teaching our kids that it's better to give than receive. Anybody had luck with that? Okay. It's about, it's about peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's about all of those things. And you know what? None of those are wrong. Those are all good things to have. I like family togetherness. I like it when my kids learn that it's better to give than to receive. I like peace on earth, and I'm, I'm all in on goodwill towards men. But here's the thing I need you to remember. The sum and substance of Christmas is simply this, that when the timing was just right, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to bring freedom to those of us who were slaves to the law, so that in doing so, God could adopt us as his very own children. That's it. That's why we celebrate. That's why we decorate. That's why there's lights and twinkly things. That's why we're going to gather together again tonight to celebrate Christmas Eve with the community and try to explain to people that this is what we're really doing because it matters. Okay? But there's one question I have left. Maybe you've wondered it too. Um, Why like this? Why this way? If I were up here and I had two presents and one of them was neatly wrapped, like, you know, the tucked folded edges, like it had been cut just so and the homemade ribbon and bows and everything and it was just here. And I had an equally sized present right here that looks like I wrapped it, just kind of crumpled paper thrown over it, taped maybe with duct tape or whatever it takes to keep it together. And I said, which one do you expect will be the better present? See, I know you're in church, you're like, well, what's on the outside doesn't matter. Come on, who are you kidding? (laughs) Of course it matters. Because what's on the outside uh, probably is a reflection of the attitude of the gift giver. Okay? Um, Maybe a little bit of the skill of the gift giver too. But, you know, we're predisposed to say, oh, well, you know what, what's on the outside doesn't matter. It's only what's on the inside. And that's a great kindergarten lesson. But let's think about this for a second, right? I need financial advice. You know, who am I talking to? Am I, am I talking to the guy who's wearing the flannel shirt from Walmart and the shoes he's had for four years that are all scuffed up? Or, or am I going to talk to the, to the banker uh, who looks the part, Right? Uh, We'll go ahead and pick on me again. I want health advice. You talking to this guy? Or you talking to somebody else who obviously is more intentional about taking care of themselves? I'm working on it. Okay, But it is what it is for right now. Turns out it takes a whole lot longer to fix than it does to ruin it. (laughs) Life lesson. But here's the deal. Packaging matters, at least to a degree. And so one of the things that we always wonder and that we wrestle with is why does Jesus come the way that he does? I mean, think about it. A celebrity talks, and in this culture, whatever they say is gold. Like what a celebrity says is important. I mean, we're about ready as a nation to give Jimmy Kimmel some kind of award. 
Why? Because he's a celebrity and he says things. Uh, agree with him or not, he has somehow this voice that people want to hear. Because why? Because he's famous, because he's a celebrity, because he's rich, he's powerful, he's got something to listen to. This is the way that it works in our world. But Jesus, Jesus comes in the humblest of circumstances. And, and, and we have to wrestle with why is that the way that it is? Why does it work that way? Okay, And there's a reason for it. Let's look here in Luke chapter 2. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she, that's Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. She placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know that story, right? You know how it works. So, so they are traveling. Uh, they go to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, they go to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. They're, they're on their way to Bethlehem. And uh, the time comes for Mary to give birth. Uh, there is no place because of the census, because of the travel. There is literally no place for them to stay. Okay, we kind of get mad at the innkeeper for not finding them a room. It doesn't work that way. There's no place. There's no place, right? But he does go out of his way to, to offer them this stable, okay, this place where animals would rest. And so that's the best he's got to offer. It's the best option they've got. She's ready to give birth. It is what it is. And so they say, yeah, I mean, they're probably grateful to take it, right? They're probably, I mean, their, their attitude is probably a whole lot better than mine would be, right? Listen, you go to have a baby at the hospital. If you have to share a room, how mad are you? If you don't get a private birthing suite at the hospital, we get a little bit frustrated. Mary and Joseph end up in a barn, probably a cave, but something suited for animals where they live and they eat and they relieve themselves. This is where Mary and Joseph end up. The God of the universe. This is where he ends up. She wrapped him in cloths. How many of you had a special baby outfit picked out for your child to come home from in the hospital? Who had one? You can go ahead and raise your hand. We had one picked out for Travis. He probably remembers this story. Even I mean, he's heard it enough. It was a pink nightgown because Travis was supposed to be a girl. And we'd have like three baby showers for the kid. And his room was pink. And because Carrie went through this fun nesting phase, she took the tags off everything, she washed everything, and she put it all away. We had a lot of pink clothes that we weren't smart enough to keep for Aubrey. <laughs> Don't worry. My parents, because they're gracious and they worried about Travis, they went and they bought him a manly bear's outfit to come home from the hospital in. So it was okay. Um, his room was pink until his first birthday though, but he didn't care. I asked him every day, Travis, tell me if your room bothers you. Never told me it was fine. No, we actually, this is nothing like what we were supposed to talk about, but we actually painted it. And here's why we painted it. We painted it because we were getting ready to have his first birthday party where everybody, all of our family, all of our small group, all of the church, they were all coming uh, to our little house that we were renting for Travis's first birthday party. And we thought to ourselves, man, do we look like bad parents? 
So we hurried up, we painted it blue. It was all fine. He turned out great. But all of that in preparation for our first child. I mean, we, we went to the hospital. We walked through the room ahead of time. We had something called a birthing class. They taught us how to breathe. It's a thing. Also that we could have a baby in relative comfort. Carrie had this thing called an epidural. I don't like needles. I left the room. It was all good. I mean, all things considered, um, it was a relatively painless process, they told us, um, after the fact. And, 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 but all of this, I mean, and then the bill with the doctors and the nurses and all the, the equipment and everything going around and, and all of that stuff. I mean, and that's just us. I mean, it's not like we're an extra awesome family who needed extra special treatment and they're like, oh, take care of these guys because they're really the most important people ever to be in the hospital. It's just us. At the time, a social worker and a school counselor. But the God of the universe, the king of the Jews, the king of earth, the king of heaven comes and this is how God works it out. There was no room. They went to a stable fit for animals. The baby was born. Think of it, just the two of them, no midwife, nobody there to help. Right? <laughs> we probably couldn't have timed that better, dude. <laughs> That's just the way that it works. He's born. They've got no special take-home outfit. They find strips of cloth. They wrap him snugly in strips of cloth. They have no bassinet. They have no special car carrier thingamajigger. They put him in a feeding trough, which I'm sure they cleaned out the best they could. You know what's funny about that too? On their way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, you know what they would have passed up on the hill, visible for miles around? Herod's palace. 12, mile, 12 kilometers, uh, kilometers, whatever metric system. Uh, 12 kilometers south of Jerusalem, as they traveled uh, to Bethlehem, they would have seen Herod's palace in all its glory. And, and really, I mean, nothing rivaled it. You'd have had to go to Rome to see something as spectacular as Herod's palace. And so they're walking and they're reminded as they travel to Bethlehem of the splendor that's available. But not for them. Not for the king of the universe. God causes. See, and you've got to get out of your mind that, that this all just was happenstance, that this is just the way that it worked out. You, you, you can't think, oh, this is just the way it worked out. No, no, no. What do we read here? Go back. But when the right time came, God, who's in charge of all of this, sent his son specifically at this time and in this way, on purpose. This is God's doing. 
So we wonder why. What's, what's the point? Okay? But we're not done yet because this story continues. And we see that what God is doing here is God is flipping the script okay, with what matters and what we think matters. And, and he's flipping the script on, on what kingdom really is Jesus coming to claim. What is he really wanting to bring? Not hope that comes with an earthly rule, but a hope that's of a, a better quality. Hope that's something different. And we see it in how the birth is announced. Yes, it's humble. Comparatively, it's gross. No place to go. Stuffed in a place that houses animals. Born and, and tied up in strips of cloth, tied up, wrapped up in strips of cloth, put in a feeding trough. Comparatively, it, it's kind of gross. See, but God does that on purpose. He does it on purpose because he wants us to understand something here about the reason that Jesus comes, and it's not to establish this earthly kingdom. It's not to establish some kingdom where, where um, he will sit on a throne and, and all of his subjects will come and bow down. See, that's coming, but not yet. Okay? Instead, what he's doing is he's bringing something spiritual. This is where you see, look, earthly, earthly, he was born in the humblest of circumstances. But listen to this. He comes with some angelic birth announcement. When your kids were born, how many of you put a birth announcement in the paper? Right, this little thing in the paper that was like, hey, this, this baby was born, weighed this much, was this tall, um, you know, whatever. We didn't do that um, just because we didn't know we were supposed to. And then somebody later said, hey, how come you didn't put a birth announcement in the paper? And then we felt bad, but we got over it. But, but here's what happens. God sends Jesus with this angelic birth announcement. Read this. Um, today, in the town of David. Now, what's happening here is, is that angels have appeared to shepherds. Shepherds are, are watching sheep. By the way, we heard last week uh, that these were the sacrificial sheep. These were the sheep specifically being raised um, so that, because we're just getting awfully close uh, to, to pa- Passover, so, so that we would have these sacrificial lambs that are, that are ready and prepared, okay, uh, without blemish, firstborn, so they're kept separate, okay, and, and here we have this, and, and today in the town of David now, as these shepherds are around gathering, an angel of the Lord appears and says, hey, here is the birth announcement today in the town of David, That's Bethlehem, we know that. Uh, A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay? And this is a sign to you. This is what the angel says. This shall be a sign to you. Okay? That you'll find him in a manger wrapped in cloth. That's what the angel says. So the angel comes with this grand birth announcement that says, yeah, 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 he's born in the humblest of circumstances, but I am an angel here, and I am telling you, and then because one angel isn't enough, we get this, a whole host, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know that song we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? You know what a herald is, right? 
A herald uh, is someone who worked for the king. A herald is someone who worked for the king, and the herald would make this proclamation on behalf of the king. Oftentimes, a herald would announce the arrival of the king because that was when everybody stood up and everybody gave homage to the king. And so a herald would come in and, and you know, would introduce the king before the king would walk into a room. Sometimes uh, they'd blow a trumpet, get everybody's attention. So when we sing the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, you, you, know, you read it like this, Hark, comma, the herald angels are singing this to you, comma, and then they tell you. Glory to, you know, you're singing it in your head. I was because I couldn't remember what was next. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is what's happening here. This is this divine announcement from heaven. Uh, Jesus, born in the humblest of circumstances because his kingdom right now at this point in time is not an earthly kingdom. It's a, it's a spiritual kingdom that he's bringing about. He's coming to offer freedom for those that make themselves his followers. Not physically right now, but spiritually. And so he's born in these lowly, humble circumstances. But there's this angelic presence that says, hark! Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men who find favor with God. Why? Because at this moment, God is doing something that will take broken men and women, sinners, and it will reconcile them to God. Why? Go back to Galatians 4, 5. So that we can be adopted as children of God. This is all happening here. This is to show us that this is something spiritual, not physical. Listen to me. The reason that it's so critical for you to understand that this is spiritual the reason that you have to get this, that this is spiritual, not physical, is because, especially now on Christmas Eve, you cannot be confused. Hear me now, look at me. You can't be confused that knowing about Jesus is good enough. There is nobody in this room right now that doesn't know about Jesus. Of course you do. I'm telling you about Jesus. You know about Jesus. You know that's, you know that's what Christmas is. I mean, you may have all kinds of different answers about why Christmas is important to you, but you know that Christmas exists because of Jesus. But listen to me. Knowing about Jesus, that doesn't get it done. Because his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And knowing about Jesus, well, that's great. But there's this point in time where we have to respond to Jesus. That is the only way this works. That is the only way that God and sinners are reconciled. That is the only way that we are adopted into the family of God is when we respond to Jesus, because his is not a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom, at least for now. 
See, and the duality of the Christmas story, it sets the stage for Jesus's life of, of sacrificial love and authority. See, what Jesus has in his lifetime is he brings this thing that's never been seen before and never will be seen again um, until he returns. And it's this idea of a Jesus that loves unconditionally, that serves unconditionally, that puts himself low even though his place is high. But it's the same reality that Jesus comes with as divine spiritual authority. That's what happens here. And we see that all through Scripture. You see it everywhere in Scripture, but you know where it's most clear? It's most clear here in Philippians 2, uh, 6 through 11. We'll read the first part here. It, it, it's actually chunked so perfectly here uh, in, in three-verse chunks. Um, being in his very nature... God, this is Jesus we're talking about, being in his very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this is this picture of Jesus, right? Some of us have this idea because if we just know about Jesus, we have this idea that Jesus kind of starts being at Christmas, but Jesus being born was not the start of Jesus. Jesus has always existed. The Bible tells us that Jesus is eternal. Jesus um, was there at creation. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate, God in flesh. Okay, God in flesh who, because he was about to do something grand, decided that equality with God the Father was not something to hold on to, but instead he humbled himself. He got low and was born in the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness. And it gets worse. Not right, not human royalty, but born into a race of slaves. The Jews were slaves. And then not even high among the race of slaves, but born into poverty amongst the slaves as a human. And then he humbled himself further, even to death on a cross. See, one of the things we see from, from the humble beginning of Jesus in, in, in the stable, laying in the manger wrapped in cloth, is that Jesus' life was going to be a life of sacrifice and humility. But one of the things we see with the angelic announcement is that Jesus was bringing a divine spiritual authority that no one could rival. And we read that in the next text. Look, even death on a cross. Therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is coming. See, Jesus comes to bring this spiritual freedom and to reign as king in your life. Recognizing that he was born, that's great. It's not enough. He came to reign as the king of your spiritual life. That's all there is to it. And because of his humility and because of his death on the cross, God will elevate him to a position of authority so that every knee should bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven. That's the way this works. That's why this happened. And we can't miss it. We can't miss it. Not, not, we can't ever miss it. But especially not now. 
especially not as we celebrate Christmas. Think of the tragedy. The tragedy, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the analogy before, it's the tragedy of starving when just through the door is a feast, right? You're, 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 you're wandering in the desert and you're dying of thirst when just on the other side of the hill is an oasis. I mean, this, this is what's happening here. When we know about Jesus, but we don't submit and follow Jesus as the spiritual Lord of our life, we miss it. And it's important. It's important for two reasons. We're going to go through these quickly. It's important for two reasons. One is because it makes him so relatable. Look, so then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Okay, so because we recognize Jesus as who he is. By the way, I want you to understand something here. This, the incarnation, Jesus, God in flesh, this is one of the things, if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, okay, that's fine, but there's lots of religions, there's lots of ways to believe, there's lots of different things that we could believe in, I would defy you to find another religion whose God does this for you. This, this incarnation, God deciding to humble himself and be born and then not just born, but born in the humblest of circumstances so that he could live the humblest of lives so that ultimately he could die for you. You are going to find no other religion that teaches you that. This incarnation, this thing, is a thing that separates God from all pretenders. This right here separates the God of the universe from all pretenders. Okay? And since... We have such a great high priest, that's Jesus, who's entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And here's the thing, we can do that because this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Something you need to understand here about our God is he is relatable. You think you're broken this Christmas? God gets you. He walked with you. You think that you've got temptation and weight and things that, that push you down? God's got you. He's been there. Here's what it says. It says, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. You think it's frustrating because um, your significant other, your spouse, or your kids don't believe what you believe, you're not alone. You, 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 think, you think that your desire for a drink or for lust or any of those things are so much that the God of the universe could never possibly understand? No, no, no. You have such a great high priest, you can hold firmly to what you believe because your high priest, Jesus Christ, understands our weaknesses. That guy was born in a stable, because he wanted to understand and he wanted to bring something that we couldn't accomplish on our own. He was born in a stable, he was wrapped in cloth, he was laid in a feeding trough, and then he lived a life that mirrored that humility. You're like, okay, but yeah, he grew up and he became, no, no, no. He grew up in poverty. 
He lived a life of poverty. He, li- he lived a life of celibacy. Get that. You're like, man, Matt, I got lust. It's hard to deal with. Jesus was a 15-year-old boy. You're like, yeah, 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 I know, but, but, but everybody lies a little bit. Jesus has had every temptation, every struggle that you have had or that you will have. That's the point. Jesus is relatable. But get this last thing. Yet he faced all these same testings, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't sin. And that's why we get this grand finished statement. So you know what we get to do? Because he didn't sin and he died on our behalf, we get to go boldly to the throne of our gracious God because there we find mercy and forgiveness. There we find grace to help us when we need it most. Why did Jesus come the way he did? Because his, his wasn't about a physical kingdom. Not yet. I keep saying not yet because read Revelation 5. The physical kingdom is coming. Jesus is coming back. We are in this season as Christians. We should be in the season of perpetual advent. We should be waiting and longing expectantly. The last words in scripture, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. John, the revelator who writes the book of Revelation, who, who experiences these writes them, what's he say? Amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are in this season of perpetual advent. We should be waiting and watching and longing. But that's not why he came at Christmas. He came at Christmas to usher in a spiritual kingdom so that he could live humbly and he could die in our place because he knows what it is to be tested He knows what trials are, and he has conquered them. He didn't give in. He didn't succumb. Why? So that we could have this grand exchange, so that you could take on his righteousness, and he took your sin on his behalf, so that we could be adopted as children of God. It goes back to our same statement, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, to live this kind of life under the law, perfectly so that he could bring freedom for those of us who live this life under the law, but flawed, we're slaves to the law, and then by dying on the cross, see, that's this, this end grand thing, you know, the point of the manger was the cross, so that when he dies on the cross, he lived perfectly under the law, and he's the God of the universe, he can take my sin onto himself, if I ask him to, and he can give my righteousness, his righteousness back to me. It's this grand exchange. What's the point of Christmas? What's this? It's that God did all of this in this way so that we could have the righteousness of God, so that we could be okay. The whole point, see, we've got these four candles. The whole point of Christ's coming, see, we've got this last candle, which is the Christ candle. The whole point of this was that Christ came willingly. When the time was right, stepped into human history, born of a virgin, under the law, but he lives perfectly under the law, so that those of us who live broken under the law could have this grand exchange at the cross. You could say, God, I'm broken under the law. Take my sin. And he takes your sin, and then he gives you back righteousness. You think about that when you give gifts with your family this year, right? You're like, here, 
I want you to have this awesome diamond tennis bracelet. That's a thing, right? I did not get Carrie that. She's downstairs in the nursery. She'll never know until she opens her presents. Have this awesome thing. I'll take your worst present. I'll take the worst you've got, and I'll give you the best I have. That's this whole thing that happens. That's why it happens this way. Because God is ushering in a spiritual kingdom where knowing about Jesus isn't enough, but submitting to and following Jesus is the key. And that, that's what we celebrate. That's why it's so cool for us here at Blessed Hope that we link communion with Christmas. And we're going to take communion together. Now, ask the elders to come forward. Uh, and Davey, come up and get ready. And we're going we're gonna to take communion together as we close out our service. And the reason that we do this The reason that these things are linked is simply because of this. Because the whole point of the manger is to bring hope. But what's that hope for? It's not hope. It's not hope that that all of a sudden uh, the world is going to be perfect and at peace and everything is going to happen well. It's not hope that, um, that, that all the bad people in the world will, will lay down their arms. It's not hope that people will... No, no, no. He comes to bring hope for you personally, for your family. Hope that when you submit and follow him, that righteousness comes with it. The whole point of the manger was so that we could get to the cross. I'm going to read to you just a little bit out of um, Isaiah 53. And I want you to think about this as I I read this. Jesus came at Christmas with this on his heart. Jesus comes at Christmas with this on his heart. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and look the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of it all. Jesus came. He steps into human history. What we celebrate on Christmas with that on his heart, knowing that the reason he came, the reason he submitted, the reason that he agreed, the reason that he stepped into human history born of a virgin, we read it in Galatians 4, was so that one day he could take up the cross and he could offer freedom to those that are slaves to the law so that we could be adopted as children of God. That's what we celebrate with communion. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Don't be confused about why we celebrate Christmas. And as we, as we offer communion this morning, that's what I want you to think about. See, uh, Jesus, he did this uh, at that first communion when he instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Uh, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body uh, broken for you. Do this to remember me. And that's what we do. This is just a simple reminder. Okay, it's powerful, but it's this reminder. Do this to remember me. This is my body. Eat this and remember what's about to happen. Remember that the manger brought hope so that the cross could bring redemption.
Remember that. Do that. Revel in that. And so as, as we take communion today, I want you to remember that the whole point of this was so that Jesus could take up the cross and bring the spiritual freedom that we so desperately need. And then he pours the cup and he says, this is my blood. Right? This, this is my blood. And, and you know what's so cool about my blood? It's about to be poured out for you as a sign of this new covenant, this new thing that's about to happen so that you can be slaves to the law no longer, but that you can have freedom found in me because I'm doing something altogether new. And then he goes to the cross. The whole point of the manger was to bring hope that redemption was coming. You remember the, the, I've probably talked to you about this before, but you remember the movie, uh, some of you, for the rest of us, we read the books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Always winter, never Christmas. That was the curse that the white witch had brought onto the land, right? It was a world of hopelessness. Always winter, never Christmas. The manger brings hope that things are about to change. It brings the hope of the cross because everything changes. That's what communion institutes. It's this idea that everything changes because hope came. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to take communion together. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you that you, uh, that you uh, were born a virgin under the law to bring freedom to those that were slaves to the law so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. We thank you for the truth that that was why you came and we thank you for its accomplishment on the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice of your body broken for us, tortured for us, and we thank you for the blood that was spilled to ushered in this brand new covenant so that we could be right with you, so that we could be sons and daughters of God most high. Father, we love you and we praise you and we can't thank you enough for this indescribable gift. Amen.